Hi, Tony. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, so this is the, do we know what we're going to call this thing? Maybe we start with on trails of learning or something like Ooh, that. That's good. Yeah. So this, welcome to our brand new podcast with Matt Williams and Tony Loecano. And I'm an evangelist for a software company here in Boston, uh, Massachusetts. And I am an architect uh, for a multi-office firm focused on learning spaces. And and how do we know each other? So we met about five years ago. We are eHarmony success stories. We've yes. been married four years now. We have the bag to prove it. <laughs> they gave us a little canvas bag as a reward for getting married after meeting on eHarmony. <laughs> and we are a success story because both of our families had completely given up on totally us. Totally given up. Ever finding a partner that could put up with our journey, our, our love of two things. One, walking, and two, our endless curiosity. Yep. My, my sister thought it was, I was a lost, lost cause, and uh, somehow we, I found this amazing woman who would like to go on walks with me. Because <laughs> everybody writes in their uh, personal profile that they want somebody who likes long walks on the beach. But nobody really wants that, except for the two of us. <laughs> So our great joy has been long walks and it all started with our very first date where we walked about five miles and 25 inches of snow starting on Boston Common. Yes, that was awesome. And the other part that's interesting about uh, we're starting a conversation, sharing with you a conversation about books that um, we found have sparked our kind of mutual interest. Yeah. And I always love starting with the story that Matt was sure he had nothing to say for more than 30 minutes to any human being. Yep. And now Matt and I will often get into conversations about books or articles that we're reading or things we've seen on the internet recently for far more than 30 minutes. Oh, yeah. Often before we get out of bed in the morning. Yep. <laughs> it, uh, yes. Yeah, I was very, very, very concerned uh, when the idea of starting to date, uh, came, you know, uh, when I started, well, f- when I found Tony, I was very worried that I'd be able to have more than 30 minutes of content. Um, and somehow my parents always were able to talk for long periods of time, but that's not something I am capable of. And yet that is no longer the problem. Mm. Not that there's any problem, but you know, so uh, Matt and I love journeys of exploration and learning together, and we particularly love journeys on foot. So when uh, we were walking through the library, Central Public Library in Boston on Boylston Street, we we're walking in the new book section. By the way, if you haven't been to the new library oh, renovation, so <laughs> do try to do, do take a look at it. We came across this amazing book called On Trails and Exploration by Robert Moore, and I believe the publication date is 2016. Um, and I'm just going to start with... Um, do, you, do you know why you think you... Why, I mean, we think I might have picked it up or did you pick it up? I'm not sure. I mean, the thing is, I believe you picked it up and then put it back and you got it, never read it. Yeah. And then I picked it up and I actually read it. And then I suggested to you that you would actually really enjoy yeah. reading it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I you you mentioned that we 
checked it out before. I have no recollection of actually checking it out before. So, but it's totally, uh, there's plen- plenty of books that I've checked out that I don't actually touch. Okay. Well, to me, in, I'll just say I love that we found this book with the new book selection. Yes. And um, it kind of sparked both of our interests. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of, I, I'm pretty sure you picked it up. Okay. And then I'm, I'm pretty sure that as often happens, you pick up something and then no, no, I'm no, no, intrigued no, no. by what you picked up. Yes. And I want it. Yes. Because I want everything that's yours. Yes. <laughs> What's mine is yours. What's yours is yours. Something like that. <laughs> More or less. Yeah. Um, especially when it comes to books and those sorts of things. And my t-shirts. And your t-shirts. Yeah. So, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, So let me just read you the introduction to this book. In 2009, while through hiking the Appalachian Trail, Robert Moore began to wonder about the paths that lie beneath our feet. How do they form? Why do some improve over time while others fade? What makes us follow or strike off on our own? Over the course of the next seven years, Moore traveled the globe, exploring trails of all kinds, from the minuscule to the massive. He learned the tricks of the master trail builders, hunted down long-lost Cherokee trails, and trace the origins of our road networks and the internet. In each chapter, Moore inter- interweaves his adventures with finding from findings from science, history, ph- philosophy, and nature writing, combining the nomadic joys of Peter Matheson with the eclectic wisdom of Lewis Hyde's The Gift. Throughout, Moore reveals how this single topic, the oft-overlooked trail, sheds new light on a wealth of age-old questions. How does emerge, order emerge out of chaos? How did animals first crawl forth from the seas and spread across continents? How has humanity's relationship with nature and technology shaped the world around us? And ultimately, how does each of us pick a path through life? With a breathtaking arc that spans from the dawn of animal life to the digital era, On Trails is a book that makes us see our world, our history, our species, and our ways of life new. Wow. Sounds like a great book. It it actually was. Yeah. I've I've read maybe the first uh not, maybe the first 80 90 pages um really enjoyed it but you've read the whole thing right I have read the whole thing so what I loved about this book is it really starts with um uh, Robert's own adventure hiking the Appalachian Trail and I love any book that's about somebody who hikes the Appalachian Trail mm-hmm. and I think it started with Bill Bryson oh, yeah. a walk, walk in the in woods, the woods. Mm. and when I was in high school or just started um university we had a one week adventure to kind of get to know other freshmen. Right. And I got to spend four day, uh, five days on the Appalachian trail mm-hmm. in the Delaware Valley water gap. Mm-hmm. And so I had never thought of hiking before. I'd never really been on a long uh, multi-day backpacking trip until early part of college. And it was on the Appalachian trail and it just kind of forever has sparked my interest. Yeah. My, my uh, history with hiking and walking uh, I've definitely done it more. Uh, some of my initial hikes were, I was a little less, I was a little more reluctant uh, to actually do the hike. I mean, there's one classic story that my mother loves to tell when we were hiking back from Cape Florida State Park uh, on where I grew up on Key Biscayne. Um, and I had a paper route, which often involved uh, delivering newspapers to the towers. 
And I knew the guard, the guard at the uh, uh, station, at the you know, guard station uh, for that apartment. And so I, uh, uh, I was already kind of tired. And so I went to the guard station. I said hello. And I got the guy to uh, let me use the phone so I could call my mother to have her pick me up. Uh, she starts driving over. And uh, she passes by Hal Wanless, our, our scoutmaster. And he says, no, 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 you don't want to pick him up. Let him walk home. Uh, and I waited and waited and waited. And eventually my friends gave up waiting and I continued to wait. And uh, I didn't get home for quite a few hours, <laughs> even though it was, it's not a long walk. I don't know what I was complaining about, but it was not a long walk. But I had made that call. I was expecting a ride home rather than walking home. <laughs> Times have changed. I much prefer. I much. I I enjoy walking anywhere, yeah. especially when I can walk with you. Yeah, we do both have a great love of walking with our own two feet, and yep. that's probably why we don't have a car in Boston. That's right. But so going back to Robert Moore though, and on trails. So this idea that he starts with sharing his experience walking the Appalachian Trail, and how it was kind of transformative in his own life. <laughs> Um, how it made him reflect back on um, what it meant to walk a trail, what it meant to uh, walk with a path or walk with a group, sometimes alone and sometimes with others. But you kind of always knew that there were people that were along the trail with you that you could kind of count on. Uh, he talks a little bit about oh, what did Cheryl Strayed call those trail angels? from the wild so again Appalachian Trail also has trail angels people who feed the hungry right. souls that are using their feet um, to go from um, Stone Mountain in Georgia mm -hmm. to Mount Katahdin in Maine so it starts there and then um, he actually shares seven years of understanding what trails mean and he focuses on three kinds of trails uh, trails used for herding trails used for hunting, and then trails used for hiking. And he uses that structure to kind of share uh, his own explorations of what it means to be on a trail or to use a trail. And in each of these uh, categories, he goes on a personal exploration similar to his, the one he did when he walked um, the Appalachian Trail. So the first the one that I actually kind of found fascinating is he um, ends up um, herding with the Cherokee <laughs> and uh, Cherokee wool is uh, very valued and it's um, part of their kind of cultural backbone, this idea of weaving and, and making yarn and heading sheep and herding. And he's never herded anything in his entire life, but he uses his network of, of friends um, to get hooked up with a, a family who has been working their land and they have a, a herd of sheep of about 100 and they've been doing this uh, for about 70 years. So the two, um, the shepherd and the shepherdess that he's primarily working with speak only Cherokee hmm. and he's been hooked up to them by their kids hmm. and they're looking for some help during uh, summer season. And he starts off thinking, how hard can sheep be? How hard can it be to herd? And as he starts walking, he starts working with the animals. On the very first day, they trick him. He thinks he knows exactly where they are. He turns his back to go work, look after one animal. 
And he comes back and the, the entire herd of a hundred sheep have disappeared on him. <laughs> and these are the livelihood of these people that he is working with. Um, and he realizes that uh, there's a reason that shepherds go crazy. Uh, there is a reason that herding is a, actually a really difficult and challenging um, job. From, from there, he goes on about how he actually learned how to handle and control the sheep. Of course, they are found, and he, he is not responsible for the loss of the entire flock. Mm-hmm. Um, but he realizes the connection that, that this uh, shepherd and shepherdess have to the land, how they know every knoll, how the sheep know every little place, how they're interested and excited about particular flowers or particular herbs or particular grasses that are particularly succulent. And at first he thinks he can change people and he can change the sheep, I should say. But he realizes he actually has to go along with them and he has to kind of entice them along the way. He has to figure out what they are interested in. And as he starts to do that, as he starts to learn what excites them to go on the trail, uh, he realizes he can force them to follow. But if he ever tries to just make them follow him, Mm -hmm. they don't. And that, that story reminds me of one of the great stories that's in Farley Mowat's uh, Never Cry Wolf. That's great. Um, and where he's, uh, this guy is, you know, sent into the Canadian wilderness to uh, track the wolves and try to understand how are they, you know, the, the, the government thinks that the wolves are destroying farmland and destroying the farm animals and they should be killed. And he's finding that, that's not the case. And there's this, the, the, the locals are a little bit concerned about this guy. They think he's kind of nuts. And then, um, at one point he's walking, trying to follow. I can't remember if he was following a wolf or he he ends up in this, uh, watering hole, um, and goes swimming. Do you remember that's part of the I story. I don't remember the watering hole. I mean, so, I loved I mean, the book. He, and he, uh, oh, gets, he's totally he's nude. Totally naked, and they're watching and it, him, and he doesn't realize that they're watching him. Right. And they, they, um, uh, he goes swimming, and then he sees that these people are trying to follow him. And so he starts bolting out, but his clothes are on the other side of the watering hole, and he, he just needs to bolt out of there. And then the, the they're like their child sees him sees a, the crazy white guy naked running through the f- <laughs> hills. <laughs> now I don't know if this is really hills because we are talking oh, wait, about no, the, Arctic. the Arctic. I mean, yeah. no, it could have been in spring when it, yeah. the tundra is a little yeah. bit alive. With the... I think it had to be spring because he was naked. <laughs> he didn't really say anything about uh, uh, it being cold. I'm there sure you would notice icicles. Yes. yes. <laughs> So I, I said one thing wrong, and I want to make sure we get that right. It was the Navajo, not ah, the Cherokee. Okay. I hope I said the Navajo. Yes. So he is uh, with the Navajo uh, shepherds. Yep. Oh, I loved that book about yeah. oh, I never the Farley Moab book. Okay, so then that was the first time, which is this idea of herding yep. and what is it like to herd. And then the second arc of the story is about um, hunting. Mm-hmm. And um, he, of course, Robert Moore knows nothing about hunting at all. He's never hunted his, in his entire life. He's never thought about it before. And again, he uses his entire network to try to figure out how he might be able to learn something about hunting. And he discovers this man who knows everything there is to know about 75 square miles 
in Georgia. <laughs> I mean, he knows everything. He knows the history of every stone. He knows every trail. He knows uh, where why uh, roads were developed, what they were prior to them being kind of automobile roads. He knows every trail. He knows every historical marker. I think I've already said that. But this this guy knows everything. About 75 square miles. But if he goes outside of those 75 square miles, he knows nothing. Hmm. But he knows everything about this yeah. very small uh, place. And his family has gone is gone back, I think, eight generations in this um, county. So, and this man happens to also be a hunting expert. Uh, this hunting expert uh, doesn't believe in hunting for sport. He believes in hunting for sustenance. So he uh, kills deer, 8 to 12, over the course of a year that he uses for, okay, <laughs> uh, that he uses for um, feeding himself and his family. And he uses a crossbow to do it. And he had learned to hunt from his grandfather. Um, so Robert uh, comes and spends about a month with this man. And... Um, learns about deer hunting, learns about how frustrating deer hunting is. In fact, I don't think in four weeks he ever is able to hunt any deer. Mm -hmm. uh, or he's able to hunt, but he never, of course, kills any deer or isn't around when any deer are kill killed. Um, but he learns about how uh, you follow the trails of the animal. Mm -hmm. If you are trying to understand uh, where they are, you want to understand the time of day that they're most active. You want to understand where their favorite patch of acorns are, where their watering hole is, where their salt licks are, and that you can uh, follow the trails. And as he, he starts following these trails, he realizes that many of them are Cherokee trails. Mm. So there's Indian trails, <clears throat> which leads him to, and they're very slightly marked. It might be like mm -hmm. a bent twig, uh, a certain stone, um, a kind of a arrangement of stones. But it, they're very slight markings. They're not yeah. very bold. And so he continues. He's with this man. And then he ends up with another who is a, an expert in following old Cherokee trails. And there are these trails that um, can be hundreds of miles long. Most of them are lost, but there are still a few. <laughs> and what's interesting is he also comes to find out that many of our roads today, uh, especially in the Appalachian Mountains, were actually Cherokee trails. Wow. I thought was kind of fascinating. So how we drive our cars is right. actually influenced by how the Indians walked the land. Wow. Oh. And then the third arc. The third arc is about how hiking is a really modern um, idea about how to use trails. So we as a population did not appear to have much leisure, mm -hmm. um, especially for things like hiking. And so he starts... Um, he especially focuses on the United States, and he uh, focuses on Mount Washington. Mm -hmm. So Mount Washington is the tallest mountain on the East Coast, all of like 3,200 feet, something <laughs> on that order. But it is the coldest place on Earth, Yes, I believe. Windiest? Coldest windiest. It's the windiest place on Earth. It's where the, the, the wind meters kind of broke at, at yeah, a certain Yeah, like, yeah, like 270 miles an hour. Yeah. So faster than any hurricane force wind yep. or tornado wind windiest place on earth and one of the coldest yep and 
Uh, Mount Washington is famous in New England. Uh, it's in New Hampshire, I believe. New Hampshire, Vermont, yeah, somewhere in there. <laughs> you probably know yeah. where it is. I actually haven't been yet. You haven't been there? No, it I... actually reminds me that's a trip we need to take this summer. Yeah. I've been uh, also on another Boy Scout trip uh, growing up uh, on the, we were heading out to, or maybe we're coming back from uh, staying on Outer Heron Island in uh, in Maine. And um, I guess on the way back, we would have gone up to the top of uh, Mount Washington. Now, did you hike? Or did you take a car? No. We, uh, I don't know. We ended up at the top. I'm sure. I'm sure I would have remembered if we hiked up, um, but because uh, that was again at the time where I did not really value the idea of a hike. Um, but uh, I remember having to walk almost, you know, like leaning forward, almost like a cartoon, kind of just trying to stay upright because of the high winds. So it, it was very windy when I was there. Not. 270 mile per hour winds, but pretty high. So it's interesting that you talk about the winds. So Robert Moore starts talking about the natives, uh, Native Americans didn't actually go up the mountains because that was where spirits were. Mm. And so nobody really went up. Um, There's no reason to. And so it was American explorers that were the first ones to try to weather the high or to summit the mountains. Mm -hmm. Of course, we say mountains kind of tongue in cheek (laughs) here, but the summit these mountains and Mount Washington was kind of the most famous because it's the tallest on the East Coast. Um, and, it, you know, the natives just could not understand why these explorers decided it was important to, mm-hmm. to summit, to conquer the mountain. Yeah. But once the mountain was conquered, the mountain was conquered in so many different ways. And it started with roadways to bring carriages up. And then there's actually a railroad. Yeah, that goes that, up. I've taken the railroad, the cog railway yeah. up to the top. And there we ended up building huge lodges. In fact, I think yes. there's a thousand room in at the top of Mount wow. Washington or right near the top of yeah. Mount Washington. So we I would imagine it's not a fancy place. Probably not. Kind I mean, of like our place that we stayed at in Crater, uh, Lake. Crater Lake. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I don't know. I've never been, but I don't know if it's even a thousand room, but there was a, a large multi, you know, very large inn that was built at the top. So we as uh, humans in 1800s, really kind of yeah. the, uh, during the 1800s, we conquered Mount Washington and we just absolutely tamed the wilderness out of it. Um, but because we did that, we also um, started creating huge erosion problems. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when he starts talking about trails um, as a way to help humans not erode um, great landscapes. Mm. And in fact, I was thinking of when you and I went up the falls right outside of Portland. Oh, Mount Nomba Falls. Uh-huh. And remember all the asphalt trails that were yes. the switchbacks where they were yes. trying to force us and all of yes. the walkers to actually use the All the walkers who were in their Sunday best as well. <laughs> exactly. So there's all these humans that are going to the falls. Well, yep. I don't know. What do you think? Fifty uh, percent of them make them past the falls that are. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a there's an, uh, a very very flat trail or walk uh, path that you walk along, um, and that gets you to the kind of the base of the falls where most photos are taken, and then there's a steeper bit, and once you get past that flat part, that. You, like 30 or no probably about 60 percent of the people drop away and then you start going up the switchbacks and at the top of oh almost all the way to the top of the switchbacks and you know maybe 60 percent of those who were left drop away yeah 
and then there's a little bit more you have to go at, to get right to the top and there's you know 60 percent have already dropped away there and then and then you go into the backwoods beyond the waterfall and to see two or three other beautiful waterfalls oh, yeah. and you pretty much have the place to yourself we were all alone we were alone yeah which was in... we saw like two people yeah but yeah. that was over like a few hours yeah it's kind of amazing. So this idea of using trails was a way of directing humans and what is the the appropriate path to follow. Um, so the, that idea, but then humans were very inventive and yep. we like to go the straightest path we possibly could. Yep. Um, in fact, you know, I do uh, most of my work is in college and universities. And a lot of times our owners don't want to put sidewalks down at first. Mm. They actually want to see how students walk and they look for wear patterns mm -hmm. And then sidewalks actually appear where wear patterns are based on student traffic. And that's the classic story of the origin of Boston roads as they come from where the cows walked, <laughs> supposedly. Who knows if that's yeah. true? I don't know. And then ultimately, um, because he's on Mount Washington, he ties it back to the Appalachian uh, Mountain Club. And what's interesting about the Appalachian Mountain Club and the birth of the Appalachian Trail is that at first the Appalachian Trail was just in North America. But what you might not know is there's actually an international Appalachian mountain what? trail now. And it actually crosses the Atlantic. And so they've um, figured out where geological intersections are because the Appalachians are very, very old mountains, which is yeah. why they're very short compared to like the Himalayas, which mm -hmm. are very tall because they're very new. Right. Uh, the Appalachians are very old mountains. And so they actually found where the plates were hitting and where there are continuations. And there's an international um, wow. Appalachian trail that you can now take um, that connects continents. And huh. so there's portions of it in Scotland, for example. And I believe it, well, I know Scotland, but I think it goes on from okay. there. I think it's over a thousand miles on the oh European continent. In addition to the, I think it's what, 2,500 miles and then there's also a maritime extension. So from Mount Katahdin, you can now go north yep. into the maritime provinces. Wow. So that Mount Katahdin is no longer the actual end of the trail. Hmm. didn't know that, did you? I didn't know that. And so he kind of ends on these trails have the ability for us to connect globally by our own feet and right. by our kind of geological connections and history similar to how we use the internet to connect yeah. to each other. Does it talk in the book about uh, kind of the pilgrimage routes at all? No, talk about the pilgrimage routes, but that's yeah. always a fascinating yeah, I mean, topic. I, I remember there's a, uh, I used to live in Amsterdam and there was a particular pilgrimage route that uh, eventually became one of the central roads in Amsterdam called the Overtome. And uh, I believe that one connected to, you know, a little bit, went a little bit further into the center um, and, uh, there was a one church that had some sort of relic inside the church. Now the church is long since gone, uh, replaced by an Albert Hein grocery store. But, um, uh, that was, and, and there's so many roads like that in, in Amsterdam that were originally pilgrimage routes. Oh. Um, and I was thinking about, uh, that movie. What was that movie that we saw with, uh, uh, the pilgrimage route in Spain. Santiago de Compostela. Yeah. And it was, what, there was a I Martin didn't really, Sheen. Martin oh, Sheen. you didn't really watch I it. I didn't really watch it. It's Martin Sheen. Um, and uh, I was also thinking about another, uh, not a, a pilgrimage, but um, another book about a trail going across the country in that uh, 
uh, uh, carriage, the the uh, oh, the Oregon Trail, Oregon Trail book. That is fabulous. I mean, I'm about halfway through that one. I don't yeah. know how far along you are. I'm about uh, however long I could uh, read on the uh, at my Sarah's uh, at my sister's place. Oh. Yeah. It's another great book, and yeah. that takes on so you know a connection to this on trails book that connects to um, the Oregon Trail book, which is paths that were um, developed by animals and buffalo. There were such large herds of buffalo, and the buffalo actually created paths all the way across the continent. And one of the greatest finds is that the buffalo had found the pass over the Rockies, that is the lowest slope the whole way. It's like a gradual incline. It's called the Cumberland Gap. Mm, And that is actually how we crossed on the Trans-Pacific Railway. Hmm. And we found that from the Buffalo. We had used wagons. Cumberland Gap is on the East Coast. Well, there's one on the East Coast. Oh, sorry. Cumberland Gap is on the East Coast. And then there's another gap on... Okay. Well, it's both. But that's how we crossed over. over And we had to figure out as humans how to get over these mountains, which we weren't really... There's a second. I think there's another Cumberland Gap. Okay. All right. Let's go for that. Okay. Well, I'm not really sure, but the idea that the buffalo <laughs> yes. helped create paths across the continent, right. and then we used those in the Oregon Trail, which the Oregon Trail is at times, you know, tens of miles at least wide, if not hundreds of miles mm-hmm. wide. It's still there. Yep. Um, much of it is actually roadway. Yep. Um, but there was it was a whole landscape that you passed through. Mm-hmm. A different kind of trail, yeah. but definitely a trail. And you, you were saying that this, that Robert Moore was lived in somewhere in BC in British Columbia. Yeah, he actually lives um, north of Vancouver in a small cabin, um, and I think he said it was about fifty miles north of Vancouver, which made me think a lot of our honeymoon. Yeah. So you know, most people on their honeymoon they think of let's go to Hawaii or the Caribbean. You know, spend the week or two weeks on the beach. We didn't do that, did we? Not at all. No, we we um, we went to Vancouver, um, BC, and uh, had a lovely uh, few days in Vancouver, and then headed on up to Whistler. Oh, oh. but before you leave Vancouver, yeah. I mean, I thought that my favorite part is we kept reporting sixteen miles today, oh, yes. best day ever. <laughs> would... Yes, we would uh, post on Facebook and a few other places that we just did sixteen miles or twenty miles or whatever it was. And all of our family was disgusted that we could waste our time with walks and stuff like that. But, yep. But, I mean, think about it. Here we were staying at the um, Hilton? No. No, it was a Sheraton. Sheraton. We're staying at the Sheraton. So we're staying at the Sheraton right next to Stanley Park. Yes. How could you not want to explore Stanley Park? It was beautiful. And then remember how we found that if you walked all the way around Stanley Park and then you came up the south side and you found Delaney's. Remember the mochas from Delaney's? Yeah, I think that's, I I looked on Google Maps and it seems to no longer be there. What? Yes. Maybe it's there. Maybe maybe I got the wrong corner. No, but, it could be. It was yeah, amazing. There was, was this place called oh. Delaney's with these mochas that were, I mean, to die for. In fact, we walked eight miles to yes. go have a mocha. A second or a third one. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. It was but, really um, spectacular. And then we then we went up to uh, Whistler. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a lot of people, maybe probably a few people who are listening to this, uh, have been to Whistler. But you've been there in the winter. We went there in the summer, and uh, and and Whistler itself was okay, but the spectacular part were the walks that we did outside 
yeah. Joffrey's Lake. Which, Just north. So that was about an yeah. hour north um, in Pemberton. Yes. And uh, I have fond memories of the hike to Joffrey Lake, but I ha- I hated it the day we were doing it. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It was hard. You kept saying to me that it was the hardest thing you'd ever done. The but do you think that was one of the reasons that you've decided to get so much stronger? I think so. So yeah. now I go to the gym a lot more often. And uh, yeah, I, I feel like I should tackle it again and maybe not be like that guy who ran up and down, but pretty close. Yeah, it was crazy. It's It was only 10 kilometers up, but it was 10 really hard kilometers oh up. Oh, God, yeah. Um, but then remember that we found that three mile diner in Pemberton. Oh, so, so good from, uh, dives, <laughs> diners, dive, drives, dive, and no, whatever that show diners, is on drives food and TV. drive throughs, something like that. Yeah. So cool. Well, so that's, uh, so w- we thought we'd, um, uh, create this podcast around the idea of, you know, finding some, something that we really both enjoy a book. Uh, maybe it's a podcast, maybe it's a video, maybe it's an article that we read in the newspaper or online or something that really resonates with us. And then just kind of talk about it and talk about our connections. And And so for the first one, we chose On Trails by Robert Moore, a book that Tony's read and I've read a little bit of. Um, and I uh, thought you might find this interesting as well. So we're think- just super excited to be able to share the pleasure of being able to learn together and yeah. to explore the books and the articles and podcasts that we find together and how we share them yep. and be able to share that with you. Cause just reading, it's so easy to just read something and it's almost in one, in one ear at the other, except it's not really in the ear, but uh, you, you read it and you quickly forget. And we want to, keep those memories with us and and i found in a I, i'm doing a daily video vlog i find doing that helps me helps me remember and use the knowledge use the things that i've learned more often in discussions with colleagues and with friends and anybody i'm anybody i meet and so that's really helped me and i think that this is going to really help us think of new ways to share information in interesting ways Absolutely. And for me, I'm just really excited to learn to, one, be able to reflect on what I've been reading um, in a more thorough way. Yep. And two, really work on storytelling. Cool. So that is, brings us to the end of the first episode of whatever we're going to call this thing. Journeys of the Mind. Journeys. Ooh, sexy. Uh, maybe. So we'll think of something <laughs> and and uh, we've got to think of something before we post it. So uh, we'll think of something really, really soon. And uh, I look forward to uh, talking with my wife about the next amazing resource that we find somewhere. Sound we good? find one every day. We find one every day. So I think the hard part is going to be narrowing down to just that one thing to talk about next time. I vote broadband girls. Broadband or broadband is what it's called. Oh, broadband. Broadband, but so broad means means women. And what generally is it about? So it's about the women um, who are part of the, the computer age, and there's many that we know. Um, so Ada Lovelace, Grace Hopper, but it tells kind of a backstory about where they came from Sounds and great. what the importance of them in creating the computer age as we know it today. Cool. 
So maybe we'll talk about that or maybe we'll talk about something else. But uh, we'll be here in about a week to talk about it with the, all of you. Thanks so much for listening and uh, goodbye. Goodbye.